0: Hi, this is Chris, host of A Couple of Drips. Just before we start, I wanted to say a quick word about our subscribers' memberships. If you'd like to help support future episodes, you can subscribe to the show for a few pounds a month. This will help fund production, coffee and guest expenses. Simply click on the support button in the episode description. Cheers, and enjoy the show. Settle in and turn it up. It's time for a couple of drips. Coffee, conversation, and occasional quips. Here's your host, Chris Granger. Hello, and welcome to episode four of A Couple of Drips, still in lockdown. Ugh oh well never mind uh we do what we can this morning i have a very nice guest the hugely talented filmmaker and i'll just i'll just let him speak about himself which he will anyway good morning mr chris stone
1: good morning mr granger how are you i'm
0: very well how are you yeah good 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 so chris um a a little bit about yourself first of all tell us tell us what you do and then we'll talk about how we met
1: uh, well, I'm a filmmaker. I'm here in Stoke-on-Trent. I've been making films since I was little, and now I, you know, I've done music videos, short films, all sorts. And now I do yeah, bespoke showreel scenes for actors. That's why we write. Uh, a specific you know a scene for an actor to really show off their talents and go out and film it and direct it and have some fun so yeah that's kind of what i do
0: very nice um you are always busy i've bumped into you in hanley park several times yes uh, it's non-stop i we met on a project didn't we at stoke council i believe we
1: did yes you were the photographer on the project this was how many years ago now oh Oof, a, about a million as, some, a million years ago <laughs> When dinosaurs roamed the earth.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, but enough about your favourite film. What, what got you into film then? What was your first early experience? You said you started making films at a young age. How young? Uh, 11,
1: 12, nine, uh, Really young, yeah. I, I grew up just watching lots and lots and lots of films. Um, my dad had a Betamax, so I'd just record films off the TV and just watch films constantly. And then my dad got... 1989, 1990, a Video 8 camcorder. And um, I actually found the tapes I've been transferring them all onto digital recently. And I can hear, well, I can see me directing my dad, going, Dad, get a shot of this. Dad, get a shot of this. Let's do this. And just doing little stories with my toys and stuff. And then I basically just robbed the camera for myself. I don't think Dad ever used it again. And I just started making uh, my own versions of like Star Wars and Jurassic Park. And... Coming up with crazy stuff. When I was at school, I'd literally spend my entire time drawing out storyboards, and then at the weekend get my friends in and we'd go and shoot like a little western or something like that. So yeah, constantly shooting and editing. I, I, obviously it's back in the day before digital editing, so everything was was kind of shot in order. So I was editing and shooting at the same time, and then there's uh, just did you a did little... you
0: ever do any editing between the Betamax and the camera?
1: Uh, I, would, I did a tiny little bit. Um, you know, at that point, it was VHS. So the uh. only kind of editing that I could do was I'd, I'd play what I'd recorded through and then I have a little sound mix-up, which I actually still have got, and I could rec- uh, mix in like sound effects and uh music but i'd have to be doing that live as i'm watching it so i'd have to have everything queued up ready to go all hands on the buttons all right. hands on the buttons pressing all the different buttons adding in the sound effects you know in the microphone and stuff so love a bit of yeah. foley
0: yeah absolutely didn't you correct me if i'm wrong in lockdown didn't you find that original camera and make another film with it
1: oh yes yeah 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 i've uh i shot bits of it I didn't shoot all of it on there but i shot uh it's kind of a nuclear holocaust film uh, where people are stuck in their houses. So, I didn't want to do the virus, so I did uh, um, nuclear. And parts of the, uh, the short film, which is called Last Legs, I shot on the original camera to give a. It's really hard to show radiation, so I, uh, the only way I've thought about doing it is to have a kind of a degraded um, film quality. And, you know, I, so I shot it on video eight. So, the bits where my character, which is just me in my radiation suit, which is a leftover prop costume from. From an old film, um, yeah, shot on video eight, and it, can't, it really does work. It does sell it as like the radiation starting to attack. It does, you know, I've seen it, to, it's brilliant. I'll, I'll
0: put a description in the uh, in the, the episode bump, and then people can watch it if they- Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. I'm drinking a uh, Square Mile. They're still not sponsoring us. Uh, Square Mile Rwandan Tumbra, which has hints of blackcurrant jam and lime, which is a red Bourbon variety from the Rulinda region. That's very nice. Uh, I'm not sure I get redcurrant and lime. Do I? Hang on, I'll have another sip. There's a bit of lime actually. Now I've said Ooh, that. There's a bit of lime. A that bit of lime. Partridge. I'm getting a hint of lime there. <laughs> And Ooh, we've gone into lying. partridge already. Yeah. Um what are you drinking, Chris?
1: I'm drinking Nescafe Cafe. Coffee in a Boba Fett mug that's gone cold.
0: Isn't lockdown wonderful? I Oh yeah. I promise you we will do another episode after lockdown and you can sit in my lovely warm studio and drink my lovely, lovely artisan coffee. Oh
1: very nice. That sounds splendid.
0: That does sound good. So what are your plans for Christmas? Have you got have you got have you it's we're recording on the first of December. Have you got your advent calendar? Uh
1: no. I usually wait a few days, you know, December the third, fourth, because then it's on sale.
0: Defeats the object, dude.
1: I know, but it's cheaper. So
0: So but what yeah. are you going for? Lego? I
1: have no idea. I'll see we'll see what's on offer oh, in a few okay. days' time. Lego, chocolate. If it's a chocolate mm. one, I'll just eat four or five days worth of chocolates in one go. Oh.
0: Yeah, no, I bought the Lego Star Wars ones for a number of years, and they're absolutely brilliant, but you do start running out of space to store the minifigures after a while.
1: Ah, so we've got a frame that we got from Ikea, and then we've, hmm. Steph modified it, added little blocks, so we've got more all, um, 36 uh, minifigures on display in a frame, so it doesn't take up nice. much space. yeah. There you go.
0: Yeah, your wife's a genius with design and things, though, isn't she? So yeah. Yeah. I've got a coffee advent calendar. As soon as you asked, to, but I haven't tried the first coffee yet. So
1: there you go. That's your job for today.
0: Yeah, I, I started doing the coffee advent calendar because I thought at least you've not got loads of stuff lying around afterwards, and it's yeah. quite nice. It goes around the coffee flavour wheel. It's from Pact. I'll also put a link in the description. So, what are you doing for Christmas, Chris? Have you got Have you got any plans in lockdown? What uh, What's your big thing? Are you planning a, a big? Right, to break all the rules, or...? Uh... Uh,
1: no idea. Literally not a clue yet, because with it changing constantly, you literally have no idea what That we're is doing. the problem, so isn't it? Yeah. Can't yeah. make any plans. What, what do you
0: normally do, Chris? What do you normally do? What do I do normally
1: Christmas? do? We go to Steph's mum's uh, for Christmas, and we have a family get-together up there, which is always very nice. And I've got a little... uh Niece and nephew now, so this will be their first, Aww.
0: no second oh, Christmas. Yeah, second Christmas. Oh, so they'll just just be at the age where they're starting to get excited about yes, it and,
1: it. and my little things nephew things. Tom is into dinosaurs, so oh. he's got a stuffed Velociraptor.
0: Nice, nice, a cuddly raptor.
1: Yeah, which I'm kind of half contemplating of keeping for myself and getting him another one uh, because it's that cool. Nice.
0: Climb to fame, claim to fame It's your chance to drop a name Trying to outdo each other's kind of lame Warn upmanship is the only aim Claim to fame, claim to fame Claim to fame, claim to fame It's time for Claim to Fame. So, Chris, what's your claim to fame?
1: Uh, Well, I've got a couple. So I worked with Jeremy Bullock, who was Boba Fett, in Star Wars on a film that I made 12, 13 years ago now. And when I was in Los Angeles editing that film, I helped Linda Harrison, who played Nova in the original Planet of the Apes, who was married to Zanuck, who was one of the biggest producers of the 1960s. I helped her move house. Which is which was bizarre, and another one was I was at a party, swanky party, and I met this uh, this guy who was an actor uh, who introduced himself as an actor, and I was like, oh, well, it's a tough business. Keep going, keep going. You hopefully all land one day. On your feet turned out to be Doug Bradley, who was <laughs> a Pinhead in the Hellraiser films. Nice. Not a clue because I'd never seen Hellraiser.
0: Well, that that reminds me actually of a sort of vaguely Christmas-related story in the Christmas episode. Of course, the fantastic David Bradley uh, played the first Doctor, and uh, you and I went to do a Doctor Who convention at the Leicester Space Centre, National Space Centre. That's what it's called and uh, i spent half an hour talking to this guy david bradley who was really interested in daleks and looked really nice and i had absolutely no idea who he was until you told me that he he was the guy who played um, william hartnell's role yeah so there you go yeah, there we go so i was like oh this 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 chap seems rather interested in the daleks and rather nice fellow and and there
1: you go so so there we go it happens doesn't it
0: it does over christmas of course we'll we'll all be playing some board games i've I've ruled out pandemic this year
1: oh no that should be the one you should be playing <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably will to be honest yeah we'll probably i i think the recent my my resurgence of uh interesting board games i i blame on you and steph actually for uh ticket to ride which was the first one you introduced me to
1: Tick the ride's good. Catan's still the best. Is, he, is that still the one? I mean, still by far the best one I've ever played ever.
0: Yeah, I kind of gave up playing settlers of Catan
1: because Steph always wins. Well, yeah, that's that's the rule. Steph always Steph wins. Steph always wins. It is, is that's, yeah, yeah, is a good game.
0: Anything new recently that uh, that you can recommend on the board game front?
1: Well, I haven't played it yet, but my friend Stu got me the Shining board game for my birthday. Uh, so it does I'll look be good. That over, it's Christmas. on my Christmas list. Uh, but yeah, no, other than that, no, no new board games. Have you seen the new Jaws one? I've seen the artwork for it. I don't, yeah, I don't know the play mechanics of it, but yeah, that does it, look interesting.
0: It's, you basically play it in two acts. The first act is on the beach, and the second act is in the boat. Yeah, oh, second wow, act is cool. called "We'll Need a Bigger Boat," and it comes with a boat inside the inside the thing. So I don't know the exact mechanics of the game, but if you look what's inside the box, it looks really cool, and that's enough
1: for me. That sounds awesome. I'll check that out.
0: Definitely. I presume you've got the Jurassic Park board game.
1: No, I no, don't actually. I own the ah. original uh, Jurassic Park board game from 1993. Yeah, it should I noticed. Still be there's, in my
0: there's one loft. about £40 on, on Amazon, I think, at the moment. Oh, right. I'll I've noticed. Out. And there's also a Back to the Future board
1: game as well. There's, there's a board game for pretty much everything. Yeah, there. there is, to be fair. We did play a terrible, terrible board game at week. <laughs> Um, well not the other week it would be a while back before before lockdown my friend Gemma came up and she brought Disney villains and the mechanics of it are dreadful really, absolutely dreadful you play a different um, each, each player plays as a different Disney villain but each player's got completely different rules so it's like you're playing four different games against each other and then things would happen and it just got more and more complicated it was I kept joking it was like was it Swizzle Stick from Friends? where uh, Chandler and Joey make up a ridiculous game and it was just insane. We had fun playing it yeah. because it was so terrible. Uh-huh. So, yes, I wouldn't recommend it.
0: So, how's lockdown been treating you, Chris? Has it affected your work m- much at all? Or uh, are you still kind of going through the... Are, are you still able to, to shoot and edit in the same way?
1: Uh, well, I didn't, I didn't even notice the lockdown happened until... The you know, end of the first week, because I've got so much editing to do. Um, yeah. But as soon as I burnt through all of that, then it hit me going, oh, I haven't really got a vast amount to, to do now. So I've just been watching lots of movies. So I've been studying Stanley Kubrick, and nice. I've been watching almost every, I think I have, I know I have watched every single film that he's ever ever made now. I've been reading the Stanley Kubrick archives, and mm. just seeing how he worked as a filmmaker. So some really great nice. standouts uh, Movies, The Shining, uh, two thousand one. It's great just revisiting them now. I'm older. When I watched a lot of these films yes. when I was younger, I did not appreciate them or didn't understand them. Mm-hmm. But now they are like, absolute, you know, masterpieces of cinema. Yeah. And the the beauty of Kubrick is it's uh, ambiguity. You yeah. can read into whatever you want to read in. Is Jack actually crazy in the in the Shining, or is he seeing ghosts? So, two thousand one. What's it really about? Uh, yeah. It's, it yeah. leaves it no, it's definitely to make that decisions. when you watch
0: 2001 as a kid you've kind of watched star wars and you think oh it's another science fiction i like this and then it's actually quite dry and quite long and you think oh i'm not sure about this and then it's later on i think you really appreciate it you know you can oh, appreciate you, I really the appreciate the effects. filmmaking
1: the, yeah, the effects the story yeah the, the I, I dare to say the filmmaking in 2001 is much better than in star wars star wars is very yeah. accessible to a younger audience, yeah. translates all the way around the world, yeah. but the, it's, uh, 2001 is way more cerebral, and it yeah. takes a few watches to yeah. understand exactly what's going on, but the level of tension yeah. in there. And actually, 2001 is more of a almost a horror film yeah. with the the suspense that really builds up. It's really quite chilling and dark yeah. uh, movie.
0: Douglas Trumbull's effects, of course, absolutely groundbreaking at the time, you know, the the quality of that. You still watch it now. I've watched it in 4K Blu-ray and it's still looks absolutely oh it
1: looks stunning and like the technology that they managed to predict is everything that we've got now down to like iPads, siri which is hell yeah uh like uh, ready meals just even just the flat screens which they had to individually project and the space shuttle of
0: course that was that was like 20 years before the space shuttle and they kind of predicted it
1: oh space shuttle and international space station yeah um everything that we kind of take for granted now voice activated video phones everything that's like everyday normal For us, uh, and even a monolith appearing, Uh, that's an everyday norm for us now, (laughs) not.
0: Yes, um, yeah, I was disappointed that it was a silver monolith and not a black monolith.
1: Yeah, I know, that would have been perfect, an absolute (laughs) recreation of the one from 2001. But apparently another one's appeared in Poland or Norway or something like that. Oh, really? Oh, well, there you
0: go. It just proves that uh, artists are still able to uh, get around the world, even in a pandemic.
1: Even in a global pandemic. Or it's aliens, uh, one of the two. Oh, it could be aliens.
0: I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't considered that. Let me consider that for a minute. no 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 no
1: no No, definitely it'll be an art piece
0: but i mean kudos to the artist
1: well apparently it's been there for six years the people attract it back to um Mm. on on google earth so it's been there since like at least 2015 2016
0: i mean word takes a while to get around with these installation
1: pieces you know well it was in the middle of nowhere (laughs) yeah yeah as well so it's fascinating
0: i think you'll find it's in the middle of somewhere
1: well there so that's true
0: <laughs> so you've been watching kubrick has the way you've had to film changed because of the the pandemic have you had to put things in place with with actors and stuff i mean long, what is it just like stick on a long lens and stand a lot further away or or, or well, hasn't it really this, changed
1: this current lockdown until december the 2nd so we can start filming again tomorrow but you know for the last month we haven't but yeah you know To be honest, it's not a huge amount of difference to how we normally work because there's only four of us on set. It's me, Steph, my wife, uh, and the two actors. So we rehearse, socially distance, and then 99. I I should just say to listeners that
0: Steph is your wife because you just went, me, Steph, my wife.
1: Steph is my wife, (laughs) yes. Just, just to clear that one up. Who's so, this? Who's this Steph that's
0: hanging around with your this, wife? This yeah. other person. Yeah. This, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. So uh, we're, we're filming outside anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's all relatively safe. And then if I do need the actors to get together, you know, for a close shot, they've yeah. got to, you know, consent and be all right with doing it. Yeah. And that's, and, then, and that's usually right.
0: the actors know each other, so they're in, in a bubble anyway. So.
1: Uh, most of the times, but yeah, yeah. if if you know, uh, you know, if they don't want to get any closer, then obviously I work around that. But everything's yeah, tele- fine. If telephoto
0: uh, lens make them look closer than they are, that kind of yeah, thing, that
1: sort of thing. So when you're working,
0: Chris, how does? I mean, you, you you've you've done obviously music videos, you've done um short web series, you did uh Blood and Bone China, mm-hmm. uh, which you won awards for, I believe. I did, yes.
1: We Excellent. Won quite a few awards around the world.
0: Excellent. I'll put all these links in the description, and people can uh, have a look and watch your various stuff if you want. But uh, if an actor was interested in doing a show reel uh, with you, how would they? What What's the first point of contact, and and how do they choose what script to do and things like that?
1: Right, they They wow. Well, okay. So first, they'd go on my website, drop me an email, I'd send them all the details and available dates, and then when they are booked in, then I have a conversation with them on the phone to really get to know them as a person. And then I write something or provide something that's specific to them so they don't choose a script. It's not like there's a library of scripts It's all because every actor's different with different strengths, different casting types, so it's about creating something that shows them off to the best. So I always say, imagine me like a chef, and the chef was presented with these different ingredients. Now the chef has to make the best possible meal with these ingredients. So it's not like a normal film where you'd write a script, go off and cast it, and do it that way. This time you're provided with the actors, now you've got to write a script uh, or provide a script that matches their casting type. Oh, so they so bespoke, um, script, yeah, the
0: bespoke scripts for, for the actors. Wow. Yeah, this wow. is
1: why it takes so long to do, yeah. because yeah. every single one is... is um, you know, you're working with, you know, I spend a long time, like an you'll, hour or so. You'll hour, never two see two hours.
0: actors doing the same story?
1: Uh, Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. like yeah. similar sort of things. But, yeah. but it's, it is, it, so it's, it's bespoke to the, you know, you you take their, their casting type and create something that works for them. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I end up making uh, the same scene a couple of times. How um, do you, um, but, uh, that, that must be an
0: awful big turnaround with scripts then. How do you, how do you find the inspiration?
1: Oh, that's that's the million dollar question. You know, yesterday I sat here all day. had to do two scripts, and I sat for four hours staring at a blank screen, coming up with different scenarios, looking at all my notes. So I, yeah. I spend almost like a therapy session ah. talking to them on the phone, get really getting to know who they are as a person, what drives yeah. them, what makes them tick. So I have got a good sense of who they are and and also who they're not. You know, a headshot can completely. Lie, yes, you know. I had one guy who looked like uh, sent me headshots and he looked like Ray Winston. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, expect him to sound like this, you know, tough or you know, Londoner, you know, all like that, but oh, he didn't want to talk mad. on the phone, so you have to uh, just guess. And he yeah. didn't have any footage, so I'm literally going off a picture, mm. and that's what the picture said to me. Wrote a script, turned up on the door, and he goes, Hi, kiss, how you doing, mate? You're all right, as a guy, and you like, Right. So visuals and audio and attitude do not match at all. Right. If I'd have known that from the start, yeah. then I could have created something that you know, could incorporate that and made that you know, humorous yeah. or funny yeah. or different yeah. or original. Yeah. But you know, when you've got a, you know, a script that then you know, doesn't quite, quite gel. Yeah. So it's all about trying to figure out who they are, who, what's my ingredients and that what, I'm working with. What's
0: your <laughs> contingency in that situation? How do you deal with that?
1: well I deal with it on a daily basis so in the rehearsal you kind of you can reconstruct the same so you know the same script you can do an infinite different amount of times so if you know you come and they are not that you have to then kind of alter the context of the scripts the scripts that I have written as comedies have suddenly turned into serious dramas serious dramas have turned into comedies sometimes I've even gone this isn't working switch roles yeah. We had an actor come, ah. um, um, th- she, and she was adamant she wanted to play a police officer. Yeah. So we did a you know, police officer scene, and it just fell flat in the rehearsal. It, was, it wasn't working. I said, switch the roles around. So the other woman became the police officer, and she became the victim of domestic abuse. And suddenly it came alive. It suddenly was electric, because I believed her, because her casting type was... Uh, vulnerable and, you know, not weak, but, you know what I mean, you, real, a real sense of vulnerability. And the other actor's and type was, was authority. Suddenly, it becomes alive. So, it's about molding it and changing it on the day. There's loads of techniques that you can you can alter it in, in post as well. You can change type entire performance with a single shot or a single piece of music. We did one years ago and it was... Two guys talking at a funeral, and there was like a a big kind of boxer kind of guy. Um, It was almost like a rocky sort of guy. And uh, it was his brother's funeral, and he was sat next to this scraggly, uh, smaller guy. And they were talking about the brother, and it was very well acted, but it just wasn't... Alive, it wasn't sparking my attention. And I had to ask the honest question of going, would I sit and watch this myself? And the answer is no, then there's something seriously wrong. So it's like go back to drawing board and start again. So I added one shot, and it changed the entire thing. So now when the big Rocky guy says, um, so we're, uh, so you're, you knew my brother well, and then it cuts to the little scraggly guy, and then I inserted one shot of a gun going off. Uh, and, he, and he goes, yeah, I knew him well enough, which then implies the little scraggly guy had shot the brother. Now it changes mm-hmm. the entire context of the scene. Now we as an audience know the secret that the little scraggly guy has killed his brother. So now you're on the edge of your seat waiting for the rocky guy to figure it out. So all the performances have been altered and the context has changed. So even at the end where the rocky guy is staring at the little scraggly guy, you go, oh, my God, he's almost got it. Has he figured it out? <laughs> Nice. but that wasn't there in the original performance that's been created yeah. through editing
0: yeah, that that is the amazing thing is the power of editing you know uh, i i think the editor can be very underrated in films you know Um,
1: well that's the thing with editing if it's done well it becomes invisible then you don't notice it the best compliment you can give a filmmaker is oh you really felt that emotion or I was really sad or happy if you suddenly go oh the editing that was good then you've kind of noticed it I think it's It's the same
0: with anything else if you notice effects or if you notice sound or if you notice editing or you notice any of the technical aspects of film it brings you out of the film it brings you out of the reality and then by noticing them You've immediately broke that suspension of disbelief.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is true. So it's about about keeping the audience in the story. It doesn't mean you can't have your director fingerprints and your style. Like Kubrick's got a style, course, Spielberg's course. got a style, Tarantino's yeah. got a style. So yeah. you know Hitchcock's got a style. So you can see the director's fingerprints all over it. But you are immersed in that world that that director has created.
0: Absolutely. I mean, to, you're talking about some iconic directors there. How much influence do you think a director has on a film when you've got sort of 500 people working on a on a mainstream Hollywood film? Do you think that the fact that we herald the director up as the main contributor of the film, do you think that's valid?
1: Yes, I do because because they are the they are the final stop of going. You know, it's about them going. You know, this goes in or this doesn't go in. They make yep. the final decision. Yep. You know. Everybody else can make great contributions, but you go, No, that doesn't work. You've got to cut that. You've yeah. got to be almost like the, they have a the final say. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Of course. Okay. You, as, as the director, it's a, you're a shit filter. So you're filtering out everything. And as a director, I, I, I was saying this, you know, I've been saying this as my little phrase, but I realized Kubrick had already said it as well. It popped up in an interview that I was reading the other day. It's like, as a director, you don't always have to know exactly what you want but you know you need to know exactly what you don't want so in the performances I'll be like there's something wrong here I don't know what what it is but let's keep going let's keep finding let's keep tweaking or improving or trying out a different way or is it just in the blocking uh, there's something that's not alive I'm not feeling it and that as a director you've got to be the one that feels it you've got to you know laughing crying uh, fear in the pit of the stomach if you 're not emotionally affected by that performance or that you know that little piece of film the way it 's cut together, then it 's not working as the director you are literally the conduit for the surrogate for the audience, so if you're not feeling it, then the audience ain 't feeling it so that's that 's all i 'm doing when i 'm directing it 's almost like seeing you know you neo know, at the end of the matrix where he sees all the the green it's like me i'm all i'm seeing is the green matrix all the the cogs and stuff and it's like how can i manipulate or move this the the matrix code so i can make it so i feel this is it is it a problem with the performance or do i need to go in closer oh is the performance fine but if i went into a long lens close-up shot on this do i get maximum emotional impact it's amazing you change one it's a house card change one thing you know, the whole thing can fall apart or it could be perfect. So it's all about trying to figure out what works. And, you know, it's literally it's all about emotion is do you feel it? It's, uh, you know, when I used to teach film, a lot of students get bogged down in all the technical side. It's like that doesn't interest me. The cameras and stuff are just tools. Don't geek out about the tools, geek out about the emotion and the story. You know, that's you know, your, your camera is just a paintbrush at the end of the day, yeah. so it's just about trying to figure out what you're actually painting and what it invokes in the viewer. Content is everything, content is king.
0: Is there much of a difference, do you think, between someone like yourself who directs it and then edits it and, and has that and someone in Hollywood who's directing 500 people?
1: Uh, it's exactly the same process, so it's, it's the same process, it's just it's just they've got more money and more resources. I went down and watched the filming of Harry Potter and Deathly Hollows because my friend was one of the makeup artists on there. And I watched the director. And it literally it occurred to me on that day going, it literally is the same process. The way he was talking to the stunt coordinator and the way he was talking to the actors is the exact same way that I was telling the actors. All they've got is more money and more resources. That's it, more people at their disposal. Which can be a good thing or a bad thing, you know, because you could burn up millions a day. Kubrick uh, worked with a very, very, very small crew because he was super conscious of budget. So on, on the Eyes Wide Shut, which was his last film before he passed away, there was there was minimum crew on set. It was like seven people. He mainly worked with his family, so it's it's possible to create you know super lavish film productions on a relatively skeleton crew. Um, the the thing that you know the most important thing on film is time, not necessarily money. You want the longest amount of time possible to really explore all the different options and ideas that you've got. Yeah, definitely.
0: I mean, I guess when you're working on a big production with a lot of people, um, the role of the producer is to make sure that the director has the people that he can trust to do what he asks them to do basically absolutely
1: it's just to provide all the resources for the director and to kind of keep on track on budget and there's a push and pull between the business side and the artistic side yeah so it's you know it's it's a bit of a push and pull there so yep.
0: i would imagine it must be very difficult as a director if you're in a position with something and you're trying to Get someone to do something a certain way, and the the person isn't doing it the way you want. There must be, there must have been hundreds of situations of that where a director has had a particular vision, and the person that's been put in the role for for whatever has not delivered the vision that the director had.
1: Oh yeah, it happens it happens it happens all the time in Hollywood films. It happens all the time with me trying to get the actor to to do it the way that you see it because they start to direct it in their own heads. And you're like going, well, no, if you did it this way, trust me, this will work. I've done this, well, I've done 700 of these scenes, and that's, you know, well over a 1,000 actors. You've chosen me to direct your scene. Why don't you just trust me? And, you know, 9 times out of 10, well, 9.999 times out of 10, they will let me go, oh, okay, trust you. And then they'll come back and go, oh, my God, yeah, that's brilliant that's the best thing ever. I had an actress sat here because this is where we do the rehearsal and she was adamant she wanted to play the scene nice and the whole scene was about this older lady who um, is confronted by this young man who is almost terrorising her. It turns out it was an ex-student of hers and uh, and you think oh he's he's a bit of a bastard he's terrorising this sweet old lady and it turns out because she was a his teacher and she treated him horribly and there's suddenly a switch. This nice old lady becomes super controlling and sinister. And literally this, this young man, this powerful young man suddenly gets reduced down to like a nine year old and really weak. And she's even telling him to tuck his uh, shirt in and she <laughs> nice. literally destroys him with a single look and you know, all this. But the actress uh, didn't want to play it like that. She wanted to play the whole thing. Nice because she said her and type was nice. And I had to convince her to, to go, No, you need to play it nice at the beginning, but then the arc is then you become nasty if Otherwise, you play the entire it thing. Work. There's no there's no conflict there, there's no yeah. nothing. Yeah. It's like I can see it's the whole thing mm. myself. It's like you've got a nice bit at the beginning and then you turn nasty and yeah. it's all and then I got to slow it all down. It's like, just trust me. Yeah. She was adamant, she was shouting and screaming at me. I'm like, <laughs> if you're angry at me now. Brilliant. Then take that anger yeah. and frustration so use out in the scene, use, <laughs> use that, and focus it on, on the other actor. Yeah. And it, the other actor was fine with me saying that, and she did that, and she took all the frustration, and I was like, great, keep that frustration all internal, but keep it, without shouting, keep it all inside and slow it all down. So yep. the second she started to slow all her voice down and stared into his eyes, it is the creepiest performance ever. Uh, it's really strong. She rang me up and she was like uh, everyone said it's the best performance I've ever done. It's like brilliant. I just wish you hadn't argued with me. Just trust me. Just, yeah, just let me do my job. It's like employing a professional architect. Gone. Oh, I love... All your, the houses that you've designed, Chris, they're amazing. It's a spectacular Houses, but oh, with this house, I don't think I want windows on the lower ground floor, and I don't want a door. I want the door in the roof, and can you remove all the sporting walls? You're like, it's gonna be very that dull. doesn't work. I can see that now. That's going to fall <laughs> apart. It's literally, you're going to struggle. You can't get in your house. There'll be yeah. no light, yeah. and it, regardless, the whole thing's going to fall apart. Oh, no, I want it. So you have to get them to see it from your point of view and change it.
0: So have you got any personal projects coming up, Chris? I know that when you're not making films for other people, you uh, you sometimes have some spare time and you make films for yourself.
1: Yeah, I made, made some. You know, I did the Little Last Legs one. But the thing is, all these scenes that I'm making are my own personal projects because mm-hmm. I am writing them all from scratch. People always assume that they're, they're not mine. It's like, well, no, they actually are because yeah. I am writing them and creating them. It's my stamp and vision on them. So every single one has, like... My own, I get to make a short film, a micro short film, three or four a week. Yeah, so that's that's the great thing about it, and you know, I get to write it and tailor it to the actor. So I get to make something cool. So yeah, it's it's like you know, it's great. It's like um, you know, if you wanted to you know be a big bodybuilder, you go to the gym, Mm. you know, every day. You know, I want to be the best possible filmmaker I can be. It's great. It's like going to the gym and really kind of stretching the imagination, stretching the creativity, trying to work out problems. Like if there is a problem with performance or you know, a technical thing on, on the day, it's like constantly problem solving. So it yeah. just makes you stronger as a filmmaker. Yeah. And I know I can see my progress because I can look back on scenes that I've done like a year ago or two years ago and you yeah. go, wow, I've learned so much from you find from you there. never
0: stop learning you find you're still progressing
1: there's always there's always something anybody who says the finished learning is, is, is deluded <laughs> yeah. or lying yeah. or whatever yeah. the only time we stop learning is when you're dead you constantly you constantly learning your new techniques or ways of telling the story more efficiently or you know little tricks that you work you know how to get the best performances out of actors there's, there's so many different different things that you pick up with and also working with different actors from different skills, skill levels Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. So you have to adjust your directing tactics constantly. So I've worked with people who have, you know, never worked, you know, never acted a day in their life right up to people who have been in Hollywood films. So you've got to kind of gel and work. Sometimes you're basically giving a acting tutorial of how to act for the camera on the day and some of you know some of the people that have not acted a day in their life have been actually brilliant because there's a raw talent there. You've just got to kind of show them like some of the technical skills of of hitting the marks so they're in focus or not blinking or not flicking their eyes at certain points or delivering the lines a little bit slower or quicker or so yeah, there's all little technical sides like that. So but yeah, all of the every single one that I've done is my own kind of. Personal project because they are you know they are personal because you end up writing about stuff about your your life and what you're connected to. That's that's how you get the best sort of stuff.
0: Welcome to the actors' workshop.
1: <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, it does become like an actors' workshop. It is uh, it is you've very technical. You try it different. You've got, oh, you've got to do the broken voice. Oh, you got to do the broken voice. But the one you can that, do that always so much better than me. The one that I always uh, and I always do the impression is the Michael Caine. Active Masterclass from 1980. What you've got to do, you've got to look in the one eye that's closest to camera for the other person. And <laughs> do you know what? That makes a difference. And you don't want to blink. You want to slow it all down. And it makes, honestly, I use this technique all the time <laughs> and it makes the world a difference. If your eyes are flicking and blinking, then you are perceived as weak. But if you slow everything down and, you know, just hold that stare, then you listen to every word that that person says. So, I mean,
0: you talked about your lovely wife, Steph, earlier. You're a team, obviously. She she um, she works with you on the films. She does what sound, costumes,
1: uh, color yes, matching. She, she, we, we write together. So Steph edits all the scripts. So everything goes through her. Then she records the sound when we're out on on location, and then she does all the color grading afterwards. She does all the emails, and I do all the. Um, you know, social media promotion, that sort of thing. So it's a good, good skill set that kind of. That's matches where the each
0: real talent stuff. is. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's that's yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. Behind every strong man, as they say. Yep, yeah,
1: that's the truth.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, dot com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. So uh, she does some costumes and stuff as well, doesn't she?
1: Yeah, so we go to Comic-Cons. We haven't been to any this year. Well, apart from... No, we haven't been to any. (laughs) Oh, God. There hasn't
0: been any this year. There hasn't been
1: any this year at all. So, yeah, we usually go to Comic-Cons, which... Uh, nice. What, what, what,
0: do you, what do you tend to go as? Uh,
1: well, Steph made me a Doctor Strange costume, uh, mm. from, you know, Marvel's Doctor Strange, which was great. So when we Fantastic. went to New York Comic-Con, I ended up on the Marvel stage run by the actual Marvel
0: oh, well done.
1: Uh, people by Disney. Uh, nice. So that was cool. Uh, I sometimes go as Austin Powers, Lev. Uh, yeah, baby. Uh, but I haven't been as Austin Powers for a while because that's an original 1960s suit. Uh, which is a size twenty of Because I
0: have defeated you.
1: Yeah, you to me, Dr. Evil. Um, so yeah, Austin Austin's quite fun. Gandalf the Gray is another good one that I like to do. Uh it's very gets very hot with all the robes oh, on imagine, and the yeah. hats and the wig and the beard that keeps peeling off <laughs> and then you're carrying a big staff. It is, it is very effective, it's super popular. Thou
0: shalt not uh, sweat.
1: Thou shalt not sweat um yeah so can you, can you give us a Mordor? More, more door more more right yeah <laughs> it's fun I ended up running into um City McAllen's granddaughter at one of these events who took a picture of me to show nice. so, Ian, i mean
0: which so, uh, should almost be in the claim to fame section there Well, right, right? there you go you yeah. we can
1: edit that won't in so. <laughs> no probably won't uh, probably won't <laughs> so um yeah it was the lots so, and then this all got started going to um convention stuff in costume um the way back when uh 2005 so I, I was the doctor for a while i was a david 10 look-alike oh yes uh, you have a tardis in your house i have a tardis and i'm sat by my dalek at the moment and yeah so back not many you know, people long, have a tardis and a dalek in their
0: house know, it's
1: random isn't it so yeah. i was um doing some filming at the school and all the kids were like oh your Doctor Who, your Doctor I was like, who's what? And then I ended up watching the new series with David Tennant, and was like, oh, well, the suit's quite cool, and it kind of took Straight off from there. On that. Yeah. yeah, and uh, was the Doctor for a number of, number of years, and that's actually how I met Steph. Yeah. So it was the Dalek oh. world record attempt in Manchester, oh. and I was just the Doctor, and Steph was dressed as Rose Tyler, the Doctor's assistant. And I ran over and went, hello, I'm the doctor. And uh, we spent the the day together going around the Doctor Who Museum. That's really sweet. Yeah. Your eyes are
0: across a crowded Dalek room.
1: Uh, Yeah, a crowd of Daleks.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. Uh, We were talking about you on episode two with Helen Sandy uh, because we were mentioning there was a documentary uh, about cosplay. I believe, a, a couple of years ago. that And I remember seeing you as Captain America in that. Yeah,
1: Tom Felton did one on uh, cosplay. Tom Felton played Draco Malfoy in the Harry Potter films. And yeah, I just so happened to be in it. You're in it uh, times, you were in it a couple of
0: times. I was in
1: it a couple of shots. It's not like a major interview or anything like that. And then I met him on the second day, the day after he was filming. I was there as Austin Powers and uh, I went up to Tom and went can I get a picture with you love and he was like yeah sure and he was like <laughs> I loved you the woman in the, the woman in black baby <laughs> yes <laughs> of course that was Daniel Radcliffe who played Harry Potter of course not him of having course. to explain the joke makes it less funny
0: yeah now, I got the joke but thank you for the non Harry Potter listeners uh, just to clarify <laughs> told that one too so what um, what makes you decide on an individual day which costume is going to be good for that day
1: weather, what I'm feeling that day, what Steph's wearing. Um, some costumes are more restrictive than others, others are hot. Some require a beard like Doctor Strange, so I have to work out what order I'm um, doing it in so I can shave nice. off the beard. So if I was like the Joker, want wanted to be joking Doctor Strange, obviously I'd have to do Doctor Strange first because that requires a beard, shave it off and then become the Joker the next day.
0: Nice, nice. Uh, Your Joker one—it's quite a lot of makeup involved. How long does that
1: take you to get ready for that? I don't do the makeup. Steph does the makeup. She does an amazing job of it. Two and a half hours to do the makeup, something like that. I mean, that's commitment to going
0: to a a comic con for a day out, isn't it? uh, It
1: is, but it it makes all the you know makes the huge difference, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: and when people meet you at the comic cons, because I've not been to a Comic Con, but obviously I've been with you to the the Darling thing. Do people? treat you as if you're the character some
1: of them do yeah so it's it's fun you get to meet all sorts of people some of the closest friends i've met are, uh comic cons and it also it's a it's a busman's holiday because you're there with you know all the book production companies are there promoting their stuff so i've met the guys from Weta and marvel and oh, lots of yeah lots of contacts i met um uh, jeremy bullock who was Boba fett who was saying before at a convention so you end up making lots of contacts at these conventions, so it's uh, it's cool.
0: Very nice. And you're a massive Bond fan, aren't you?
1: I am a massive Bond fan, so I've got quite a collection of Bond props and memorabilia and all sorts. Really, very
0: nice. Yes, you have a glass cabinet full of full of Bond stuff, don't you? Have you ever met anyone involved with the Bond films at
1: all? I met oh the production designer Peter Lamont. So I did Ooh, a Bond inspired nice. music video ten years ago. Uh, with Aston Martin's things getting blown up and you know, girls in bikinis. And I got to show him that. And I said that you know, my ambition in life was to direct a Bond film. I sat and watched the entire thing with a smile on his face and went, Yeah, I can see you doing that, which you know, was the biggest boost ever. So, oh, that was
0: wow, that's amazing! Fantastic. So he, watched your, he watched your video with you,
1: he watched my music video.
0: Yeah, that's the video for the amateurs, was it? Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'll put a link to that in the description because that's one of my favorite videos that you've done as well.
1: Oh, thank you. And then I met George Lazenby as well at one of the conventions and his pen ran out while doing uh, my autograph and I said, uh, this never happens to the other (laughs) fella. Which is a reference to one of the lines Of course, of course. What, what, what?
0: Did did he react to that?
1: He he just, it was like half smile, half groan. It's like, oh, yeah, great. I've heard
0: that a billion times.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Favourite Bond film then? Goldeneye, probably. Um, Goldeneye or Casino Royale. Goldeneye was oh, I remember watching that when I was 11 at the cinema and it just blew my mind and still incredibly strong story um yeah. visuals everything it just all came together with Goldeneye and it, at the time Bond films had you know hadn't been out for 6 years there was a whole legal thing after license to kill with tv rights and stuff so it looked like there wasn't going to be another Bond film and uh, this was the the first Bond of the 90s, and it really kicked off with Brosnan. And uh, Sean Bean is superb as Trevelyan. And what works so well about it is because Trevelyan is so, you know, Sean Bean as Trevelyan is so good and so strong, it, it's a real credible threat. It's 006 versus 007, so it's a real mano mano uh, you know, death match. And what's really interesting about, you know, I'm going off on a tangent here, but really interesting about GoldenEye, I watched it again recently, analyzing, it, going, actually most of the story is told from the Bond girl's point of view, from Natalia's point of view. She is more of a protagonist than Bond. In the way that, in the book, The Spy Who Loved Me. Yes. So that's, yes, that's interesting. So you meet Natalia way before you meet uh, Bond, and you follow her journey and you follow Bond's journey, and then the, the two uh, threads intersect. So that's really interesting. So a lot of the Daniel Craig Bond films... You don't meet the Bond girl or the Bond lady or whatever we're calling them now until Bond meets them. And also, I'm finding that you, that Bond, isn't meeting the villain until yeah. You know, well, we're not meeting the villain; the audience is meeting the villain until Bond meets, which kind of loses something because it's more interesting to in the older Bond films where you'd you you'd see the Bond villain doing his plan, and then you'd eventually the two plot lines would intersect. But Goldeneye really is one of the only ones where you do meet the Bond, uh, the Bond female protagonist before, before we actually Bond meets her. Yeah,
0: Goldeneye is an interesting film in a number of ways. There's a, there's a few uh, unusual things about it. Um, one of the things, as well, is the music. It was the first music that David Arnold did. No, it's not. Was it not?
1: No, it's Eric Serrara. Is it? French composer, yeah. Uh, uh, David Arnold didn't come until uh, Tomorrow of Dice. Oh, okay. So it's the same music as the same composer as Leon and uh, The Fifth Element. I French, French the composer. Music,
0: the music is slightly different, though, isn't it? It's yes, it's more. It's not very decent. conventional. I think synth, I've seen David Arnold so, talking about
1: it. That's where I got me. But mixed, it's so it? Goldeneye. As soon as you hear that, it's so distinctive. Goldeneye. It's the same with the Spy I Love Me, which wasn't John Barry. But it's so the Spy I Love Me because it's a different composer. It's got a different sound to it. Same with Goldeneye because Eric. That was the only one he did. It is such a distinctive. sound. I love the soundtrack to Goldeneye.
0: Do you not. Do you not think it loses something by not having the conventional kind of John Barry themes to it?
1: It does. On, on just select moments, and that's where those moments have the maximum amount of impact. Right. For the Tank Chase, they didn't use Eric's music, they used a different composer, and they went for the more traditional Bond theme, and when that kicks in halfway through the film, that has real impact. So it's a good mix. It's, it's a good mix. The same with um, David Arnold's score for Casino Royale, he very he didn't actually use the Bond theme. There's like little hints all the way through, and you do not get the full Bond theme until the end, until... James Bond has earned, you know, the right to say, my name is Bond, James Bond, and then you get the full theme, which I work so well, which is a technique that I borrowed or stole <laughs> uh, for my Blood About China uh, series. So you get the, you know, the full impact when the hero finally becomes, you know, my protagonist finally becomes the hero at the end. You hear the full...
0: The full theme tune.
1: The full theme tune, which has been the title music for every single episode, but then the theme music kicks in during the episode, which is the same technique they used in Breaking Bad on the penultimate episode where you hear for the first time the theme tune in the actual series itself. Ah, oh, yes.
0: So who did the music for Blood and Bone China? It was
1: yeah. a band called Birthright, which are from the Black Country, oh, which I went down and visited, and I listened to lots of their songs, and that one, called Goodbye Happiness, had such kind of energy to it, because even though it's set you know, in you know, the Victorian times, I still wanted something that was kind of almost Buffy... Esque that had that real kick. Also, I wanted that kick, that kick of energy every time that you watched an episode uh, to you know bring it to life. So yeah, their, their track worked incredibly well. Excellent. So um,
0: favorite Bond then?
1: I oh, see that's a hard one because each one kind of matches the tone of their films. So it's a really hard one to.
0: I always think your favorite Bond is is the one that you first saw as Bond. So for me, that will, will always be Roger Moore.
1: Yeah. See, I love I love Moonraker It's one of my favorite films, which I know a lot of people detest, but oh, I, I love think it. it's love it's it. great. It's super James campy. Bond
0: and science fiction together. What what's not? Well, you to say like?
1: science fiction because they had a lot of NASA consultants on there, so people go, oh, it's, it's James Bond on the moon. It's like no, it was in a space station, which we have space stations like that. It had the Space Shuttle in 1979, which was two years before the real Space Shuttle launch, and that was only because it got delayed for two years. They wanted to coincide with the launch of the first Space Shuttle. So uh, pretty much it's all conceivable. You know, the orchids that spread poison, you know, it's all doable. It's just lavish and big. That's what I love about the Ken Adams sets. The music's brilliant. It's fun. It's a fun... That's the thing with Bond. It can be... Difference, you know, you can go from Moonraker to you know really gritty, handheld, overly realism of like Quantum of Solace. The bond can be different. Same with Batman. You've got you know you can do Batman and Robin, and you can do um, you know the Dark Knight, or you can do just you can do different things with the same character.
0: If I had to pick a favourite film, it would be probably The Spy Who Loved Me, although Live and Let Die is a close second
1: yeah they are did you see that with me those two at the cinema yeah
0: that was fantastic a couple of years ago uh view cinema uh did an anniversary re-release and they showed each weekend they showed two bond films back to back and we went to see live and let die and the spy who loved me and we also went to see two Day, films. and license to kill brilliant that was, that was great. That was, I could have gone to the whole lot, to be honest. But I wish so. I had
1: gone to the whole lot. Cause I was like, <laughs> oh, no, I don't need to see Doc Snow and Goldfinger. So I've seen them before. But the difference of seeing it on a big screen is, it, uh, yeah, it changed it. The way I've, the sound design of the Spy of Me, the shots, you could see way more going on. So just before lockdown, I was going back to the cinema and watching a lot of the films that I'd grown up with uh, on TV or VHS like Batman 89, is incredible on the big screen. Uh, the sound of the Batmobile roaring just shakes your seats. I saw The Shining, which was immense.
0: I would love to see that in the cinema.
1: The uh, the sound design, the way the shots just bring you in it is, it is uh, fantastic. The, the Silence of the Lambs was incredible on the big screen. And Rocky... Rocky is, is so underrated. I mean, it's you know people, it's classic, but it really is that good. It is amazing. Yeah, incredibly well done.
0: I love it when they reissue films like that. I've been to see Blade Runner at the cinema, which if you've only ever watched it on Blu-ray or whatever, is you know it, it's a completely different experience. I went to the reissue of Star Wars, even though Star Wars was the first film I ever saw when I was seven years old. Going back and seeing it again with adult eyes later, when it had been remastered and cleaned up and that, but uh, yeah, it's um,
1: that's one of the only films I haven't seen at the cinema. It's Star Wars. I've seen every you know uh, New Hope, nineteen seventy-seven one. Yeah, I've seen Empire Jedi, all the prequels, all the sequels, the spin-off films, but I've never seen a New Hope at the cinema.
0: Of course, to try and see the original version of that film is is very difficult because uh, Lucas tends to release the remastered versions with the added CGI, but to uh, actually get hold of the original print, unless you've got it on kind of laser disc, it's not really out there, and he, he doesn't have any plans to release it, so... Uh...
1: Well, yeah, it doesn't even own it anymore, does it Because Disney owns it. Yeah, well, this is true. I don't think I've seen the original one since 90... Oops, before, pre-97.
0: I th- my sister had a copy of it on VHS. Um... And then the special editions came out with the widescreen and all that stuff. But yeah, it's been a long time since I saw the original film. Uh, but I do remember seeing it in 1977, 78, and uh, it was the first, my very first experience of cinema. So that was a good way to good way to start.
1: Yeah, that's a great film to see first. Yeah, definitely.
0: Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure
1: thank you very much for having me on
0: thank you for joining us i will put uh, lots of stuff in the uh, description about how people can contact you and how people can get your show reels and some links to your previous work as well i hope you have a nice christmas i hope you uh, sort out what you're doing over christmas
1: yeah so do i
0: (laughs) I hope to catch up with you and we'll do another episode out of lockdown, hopefully. Sounds like a plan. We can talk about plenty of other things and drink some some coffee in person. If you're listening, thanks for listening. We've got a, a couple of episodes in before Christmas, I think. Do find us on Anchor and Spotify and Deezer and Apple and wherever you normally get your podcasts. So thanks for joining me, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've been Chris Granger. I've been Christo. And we hope to see you soon. Catch you later. You've been listening to A Couple of Drips. The show was conceived and presented by Chris Granger and is a Cup the Mike production. Hi, Chris here. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the production of future episodes, then subscriptions are available. Simply click on the support button in the episode description. See you next time.